I'm Rachel Yucatel. You're listening to Misunderstood. Today, I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm so excited to be here. I came all the way here to interview my next guest. Bob Zeidman is a software engineer who used his data analytics skills to debunk a false 2020 election conspiracy theory promoted by the MyPillow CEO, Mike Lindell. Mr. Lindell offered $5 million in a Prove Mike Wrong challenge, claiming he had the data to prove China interfered in the election. My next guest today was backed up by an arbitrator's finding that he indeed proved Mike wrong, and Mr. Lindell owes him the $5 million. To tell us that story and the importance of facts versus fiction is my next guest. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Rachel. Thanks a lot for having me on. Of course. So first, I want to talk about, for one second, who you are and what you do, because it's a little confusing. Tell me about yourself. Well, I do a lot of things, but I think what's relevant here is that I do software forensics. Mm -hmm. So I actually, what's interesting is I don't have a degree in computer science, but I've been doing computer programming for 50 years. When I was a teenager, I was doing it. Wow. Um, and then actually I got back into it about 30 or 40 years ago. And I developed tools for what I call software forensics, which is comparing, and these are software tools, for comparing software to find out if somebody had stolen code or infringed someone's patent, and I do a lot of that work. I train people. I mostly work on intellectual property litigation. Okay. So when big companies are suing over patents, uh, my team and I will come in and reverse engineer the hardware and software, but mostly software, and determine if somebody copied code or, or is implementing something in a way that infringes somebody pat somebody's patent or misappropriated trade secret. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And you moved to Las Vegas, you said, four years ago. Yes. Why did you choose Las Vegas? Well, a bunch of reasons. Um, one, I just, so I'm, uh, as, as people know, I'm a conservative, generally uh, support Republicans. And I found that California was going crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't mind my taxes going up. They were going up all the time. I would get notices uh, that I owed a new tax uh, regularly, uh, some tax I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the property taxes were high. And I thought I wouldn't mind paying the extra taxes if the standard of living were going up. But uh, there was more crime, more traffic, more homelessness. Uh, my wife and I hardly get out of the house anymore. We work from home. Mm -hmm. And to go out to, get, to be entertained, for example, to see a show, the traffic and the crime and the needles on the street were just too much for us. Right. So, uh, so we bought a, a, you know, a house here at half the price, uh, a nice house, uh, much lower property taxes, no income taxes. But also, uh, I'll tell you, I just feel freer here to voice my opinions about political issues and social issues. Mm -hmm. And people can respectfully disagree with me here and we can talk about it. Whereas in California, I found that I just couldn't do that. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So in 2020, during the election, you had voted for Trump, right? Yes. You're a two-time Trump voter? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> let me put it this way. And I have some friends who are really uh, devout Trump supporters. I'll mm -hmm. put it that way. Uh, and they're good friends of mine. But I, I always felt that both times Trump was the lesser of two evils. Okay. Um, you know, I've written about that. I'm not a big fan of his, although I did like his policies during the first four years, mm -hmm. well, his four years in, pres in the presidency. Mm -hmm. But I think he's volatile and unpredictable, and it, it makes me nervous. So what was your feeling about the outcome of the election? Did you think that it had been stolen? You know, I don't like to say that because I don't have any proof. Right. Um, you know, and everything that I saw from people was implications and you know as a forensics expert 
you see things all the time that imply that somebody took something or stole something, but until you investigate, you don't really know. Yeah. But my feeling from the beginning is that it was extremely unlikely that the voting machines were either hacked or malfunctioned because that would be detected. Mm-hmm. Somebody like me, there's a lot of people like me. I, I like to think I'm the best at what I do, but <laughs> there's a lot of people like me out there. Mm-hmm. And one of us would have detected that. There's also cyber security analysts who monitor the internet and they would detect that. So I thought it was really unlikely that voting, if there was any, well, let me put it this way. I can say for certain there was fraud in the election Mm -hmm. because every single human activity has fraud and that's what keeps me in business. If there weren't fraud, I wouldn't be uh, an expert witness on so many litigations. Right. But was it enough fraud to, to change the, the results of the election? I have no idea. And, uh, but I'm almost certain it didn't. Ha- I was almost certain before this that it didn't happen in the voting machines. Got it. So what was uh, Mike Lindell's claim? Well, the claim changed over time. Mm-hmm. But I think very shortly after the election, he claimed that he had proof that the voting machines were hacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember distinctly January of 2021 after uh, Biden's inauguration that he started making significant claims about that he had the proof of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but he said, you know, there were claims that it was China that hacked in. There were some claims that it was the State Department or the Democrats. There were all kinds of claims. Eventually, he narrowed it down to China had hacked into the election. Right. And was he expressing how much of an effect that actually had? Was he trying to say that that was the reason that Trump lost? Yeah, absolutely. He, he kept putting out numbers, in fact. He still does this. He says, here's the number of votes that were switched from uh, Trump to Biden that caused Biden to win the election. But I can tell you, you know, we'll go into this. At the symposium that I went to, those numbers kept changing. He put numbers on the screen. Right. And... He had invited a number of cyber experts like myself, mm-hmm. and we were all saying, where did those numbers come from? But even as he spoke about the numbers on a big screen behind him, mm-hmm. he'd say, he'd look at them and say, oh, those numbers aren't even right. It was even more votes. Oh, wow. and, and all of us are thinking, where do these numbers come from? Mm-hmm. So how did you first hear about the challenge and explain exactly what the challenge was? So I, I didn't realize that, I think the challenge was mostly on conservative media, and so I subscribed to conservative media. Uh-huh. And I also have friends who told me about it. But basically, Mike Lindell got on conservative media. I think he got on some other uh, outlets also. Mm-hmm. And he said he had what are called packet captures. Packet captures are capturing all the data on the Internet mm-hmm. and showed that China had intercepted, uh, at least this was the implication, it somehow intercepted votes that were being sent around the Internet between voting machines. And he, had, he could show that they were changed from Trump to Biden. Right. And so he offered a $5 million challenge. He said, I'm going to hold this symposium and I'm going to invite the best experts in the world to come look at it. And if anyone can prove me wrong, they'll get $5 million. So what I don't understand is, I mean, it's one thing to go on all this media, claim what he's claiming. It's another thing to say, I'll give $5 million to anyone who can prove me wrong. But then it's a completely other thing for you to have a symposium where yeah. you give the data and, and challenge people to prove you wrong. I mean, he went so far in different yeah. steps, right? I thought that was really crazy. So what was on the agenda of the symposium? Where was it? When was it? Uh, it was August of 2021. Okay. It was, there was no agenda. I got there and I was given basically a blank agenda. What's interesting is that during my arbitration, which we'll talk about, uh-huh. uh, 
agendas came up. You know, during discovery, you can ask for documents. They turned over some strange documents, documents that my lawyers and I were wondering, why did he ever turn this over? This doesn't help him. Right. I mean, you're obliged to turn over every document, but I've been in enough litigations that, you know, people lose documents. Mm -hmm. And then how do we prove that they didn't lose them? Right. So we got some pretty, uh, what I think are incriminating documents. But they gave us, in addition to that, they gave us agendas for the symposium. And that's the first time I ever saw an agenda. The agenda I got on the first day when I got there was something like, um, you know, uh, 9 o'clock, panel number one, 10 o'clock, panel number two, 11 o'clock, panel number three, and 12 o'clock lunch. Um, and all, the agenda was just like that. And so I never knew who was going to show up. Okay. But, you know, so he mo- was supposed to have speakers or right. something like that. And did they ever show up? So they did. Uh, I had to go online and using clues about what they said, you know, okay. he'd, he'd say like, oh, here is John who just, you know, did such and such. And I'd, I'd Google John and such and such mm-hmm. and look for faces and say, oh, this is so and so. But honestly, it was Lindell, at least the first day for sure, it was mostly Lindell talking nonstop. He'd have people on the panel, mm-hmm. uh, but he wouldn't give them much time to talk. He'd talk nonstop about uh, election fraud and the proof and the deep state and China. Mm-hmm. And when he ran out of things to say, he'd ask everyone to get up and recite the Pledge of Allegiance or sing God Bless America. No, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, just off offhand, was he trying to sell my pillows at the same time? You know, I don't think so, although it's hard to, I mean, people have accused him of that, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to say because he's selling all the time. I think the people there knew he was the CEO of MyPillow Uh and selling MyPillows, and there was probably mention of MyPillow. He didn't come out. I mean, I've seen him on on interviews where Uh he says at the end, he says, oh, and by the way, you'll get a discount (laughs) on my pillows. I don't remember him saying that, but, you know, everybody there knew they might have been buying pillows for all I know. Right, right, right. So who was invited to this symposium? Uh, So there were reporters there Mm -hmm. um, and politicians. You know, I've said, he's denied this, but I've said that everyone there seemed to be pro-Lindell and Uh pro-Trump, with very few exceptions. Uh, But among the cyber experts, you had to get invited. You had to supposedly be qualified and get invited. And he's denied this, but everyone that that I came in touch with was a Trump supporter okay. of the cyber experts. And also when I say cyber experts, uh, to be fair, they range from people who were really experts in their field to people who admitted that they were just IT people. Got it. And by IT people, I mean people who serviced computers. Mm-hmm. And, and I give them credit. I think everybody, every expert that was invited mm-hmm. uh, was sincere, uh, honest, uh, because we all agreed by the end of the conference, the three-day conference, that Lindell did not have any data related to the 2020 election. Right. So let's get into what the data was he showed. But before that, um, was that well? It's, yeah. Tell me about that. Actually, what was the what was the evidence that he was showing, and how was he showing it? So the first day, he gave us 11 files. One of them was really big. Uh, it took us a while to download it. Uh, I've heard rumors that the Wi-Fi was purposely slowed down. I don't know if that's true, but all of us, you know, we spent an hour or two downloading the files, but there were seven of them. And, you know, to summarize, there were, there was a PDF that was a diagram of voting machines and, mm-hmm. and voting process that didn't have anything to do with the 2020 election. Uh, there was, um, 
there was a video that I probably don't have time to go into. He claimed that arbitration, that it showed us how to extract data from some of the other files, okay. but, if, but it didn't. I mean, the, it, it's a longer story, but it was, a, it was a, a minute video with no sound of somebody fooling around on a software tool, and all of us dismissed it. But at arbitration, they said, this was the key, and if Zeidman had understood how this worked, but when, they, when we asked them at depositions, how did it work? Oh, it's like too complicated for us to explain. Right, right. <laughs> Did you have only the three days to come up with your answer to submit? Did you have to give it by the time you left? Yeah, you had to give it uh, something like by the very end of the conference on the third day. Okay. And actually, friends of mine, so friends of mine had encouraged me to come. Mm -hmm. And they said, Bob, you know, you're a leading expert in the field. You should go. And my first response was, first of all, uh, expert, there are other experts have already vetted the data, said that it showed the proof. I might disagree with them, but I'll wait for this to come out. I don't need to go to a conference in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they said, uh, one in particular said, you could win $5 million. And I said, I'm not going to win $5 million. Because first of all, nobody would offer $5 million if the data was was illegitimate. Right. We, we might disagree about whether it showed hacking, but it, I figured it must be legitimate data. Sure. And uh, the other thing is, I said, but even if I could prove it, it would take weeks or months yeah. for me to go through the data, and three days isn't enough. But I thought about it, and I thought, well, I knew some people who knew Lindell, mm -hmm. and I, I got myself invited because I thought this will be an historic moment. Mm -hmm. One way or the other, it'll either be, it'll show the election was hacked, and I was there when it was announced, mm -hmm. and you know, I could tell my grandkids about it, maybe the election will be overturned. Uh -huh. Or it wouldn't, but it would still, there'd be great, you know, interesting people to meet and talk to. Uh, I never expected to be able to show the data was fraudulent. Right. But what did happen is my first day there, within a few hours, without, you know, I don't, I don't need to go into the detail, and I wish I could say I did something brilliant. The, the thing that I did is I recognized something that other people just didn't recognize until much later in the conference. And what was that? So that was, of the files he gave us, well, first of all, he gave us a large file that everybody thought must have PCAP data. That's packet capture, the capture of the data on the internet. Uh -huh. And so everybody was trying to analyze this giant file. I did that with a tool that everybody knew about. It's not like I, you know, nobody knew about it. And I also used my own tools. Right. And I basically showed that there was nothing legitimate in there. But that left some other files. And there were these files that just looked like, if you open them up, they looked like a whole bunch of numbers, just thousands and thousands of what are called hex numbers, which are numbers in a format that computers use. Mm -hmm. And everybody else just looked, I think, just looked at it and said, well, these are hex numbers. We don't know what it is. It's just numbers. But I've been doing this for a long time. And I looked at it and I said, you know, if I change this from what's a representation of hex to actual binary data. And so the way I explain that is like, if you had a file that said, was written out 1,192, mm -hmm. and you converted it to the number 1192. I mean, it's as simple as that. So right. I took this representation of numbers to actual numbers. And, and actually, years ago, I'd created a little tool to do this because I needed it for whatever reason. So I, I got the tool, I used it, and then I created a new file. And then I said, oh, I wonder if I, if I open this up in a text editor because it looks like text. Mm -hmm. So I open up a text editor and I see all these commands in there, in this file. And I thought, you know, I recognize this. This is a word processing format from like 30 years ago. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, what if I open this file up in Microsoft Word? And I did that, and it was a perfectly formatted 
word processor document. And one of them was just a table of numbers. And I said, okay, well, this table of numbers has nothing to do with the election. I mean, it was, you know, hundreds or thousands of numbers. Yeah. And then I opened up the others and they were just gibberish, but they looked like somebody had been just typing gibberish for thousands of pages of gibberish. So, but, the, but the thing is, I just want to be clear that yeah. the gibberish was perfectly formatted. It, you know, it had like italics and bold and, and justification. So it wasn't like Lindell, Lindell's people tried to say, oh, it was gibberish. He didn't know what it was, but he knew exactly what it was. It was somebody typing gibberish into a Word document. Right, right. So do you think that Mike Lindell knew that this was information that was not true? Or do you think that somebody misled him? That was a big question. So everybody, by the end of the conference, all the experts said, this is not, and I don't think everybody knew exactly how the data was formed, and I had figured that out, and I also wrote up a report that I submitted. Mm -hmm. But the big question was, does Mike know this or not? And so we actually got somebody, we wrote up a little note for Lindell Mm -hmm. that said, uh, you know, dear Mike, uh, this... This data is not real. Uh, you know, maybe you haven't given us the real data, or mm-hmm. maybe uh, you know, there's some misunderstanding. Your people can tell us. We wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And the expert, I think, it was on day two, was supposed to go up and give it to him. We chose one person in the room who was this very dignified person, very calm and knowledgeable. And so on day three, I asked somebody. I said, "What happened when he went up?" And gave it to Lindell. And he said, what? He said, the other expert said, we don't know. He went up to talk to Lindell. Lindell pulled him up onto the stage and said, what's going on in the back room with the experts? And this guy said, oh, we, we're still working on it. We think we're going to have it resolved pretty soon. We think we're going to find the fraud, but you need to give us more time. Huh. But that was not what we had said. Right. We had all said, there is, there's no real data here. We're not working on it anymore. Hmm. Um, you know, but I think to give people the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. you know, people wanted to believe, but they were at least being honest yeah, and saying there's nothing to believe here. But they were saying, please tell us what we got wrong or you right. know, what you left out. But Lindell wouldn't Didn't have, have any. the answers. The other thing I'll say is one member of his team who ended up testifying on my behalf at the arbitration, and we've become friends, mm-hmm. one member of the team came in. I remember sitting there, and this made the newspapers. He came in at one point, and people were asking him, where's the data? This isn't packet capture. This doesn't seem to be right. And he said, you know, the data's all bullshit. And I remember sitting right, I was sitting next to him, and he was standing, so I couldn't see his face. But yeah. I thought, did he just say that? I must have misheard that. But <laughs> What he, did he mean by that? He was telling Lindell that everybody on Lindell's team had agreed that the data was fake. Wow. So, so I think in answer to your question, my decision, my what I've come around to believe, especially after arbitration, is that any reasonable person would know this data was fake. Uh-huh. But Lindell fired, he fired the guy who said, who told us that, that it was fake, uh, and really trashed him online, really ruined his career. Right. Lindell fired anyone who said it was fake, wouldn't listen to anyone who said it was fake. Um, he wants to believe so badly mm-hmm. that the election was stolen that he refuses to to listen to anyone who says otherwise. Yeah, and that's such a scary thing for the American public to follow. You know, I mean, it's like people like that that have a platform that um, can just give, you know, their opinion and spout out information like it's fact without real data that they 
know, you know, and they can prove themselves. It's such a dangerous thing because people will follow and they will listen to that for lack of any evidence themselves, right? Because we're not data analysts. We don't know mm. this stuff. So, um, you know, and it's so difficult because the country is so split, right, on right and wrong. And there aren't too many facts that are really given. It's just so much opinion. And that's how this fake news gets created. I mean, what's your opinion on fake news and how much of, you know, these people's platforms should be and their opinions should be based on actual data? Well, so I think there's a lot of fake news out there. Mm -hmm. I think uh, on both sides of the aisle, you know, politically. Uh, I've I've written, you know, I have a Substack blog and I write on political issues. Now they they come from the right because I'm a conservative. Yeah. But one thing, you know, I had a friend years ago. I would I would send out emails with information on them, and a friend of mine told me he didn't believe anything until he heard it from me. Hmm. I think, unfortunately, people consider themselves too busy or not smart enough to know what's going on. So right. they 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 allow their opinions to be manipulated by experts, quote-unquote experts. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you what's interesting is, I, you know, I've been involved as an expert witness on 260 litigations. Right. And every time I'm an expert with one opinion, there's an expert on the other side with Another a different one. opinion. Yeah. And so I think when we start believing experts, I'm not sure what the solution is. When we start believing experts, it's dangerous. Yeah. I think what's better is people should read both sides of an opinion and try to determine for themselves which one makes sense. But that's really hard to do, and most people aren't willing to do that. Right, right. So now get back to the symposium. So you figured this out in a matter of a day, and you started yeah, a few to write hours, your, actually, and you yeah. started to write your findings. Were you right. checking with other people to see if they were also going to submit their findings, and if you were all coming up with the same answer? Well, to be perfectly honest, so it was about three hours in when I found this that you could convert this stuff to a Word document of gibberish. Mm -hmm. And I turned to the guy next to me, who was the guy we had elected to go up later to Lindell. Right. And who also, Lindell, surprisingly, selected as his expert witness for the arbitration. Uh. Which was weird, because that's a mistake. If You know, I know litigation. You don't pick someone who was already close to the event. You want someone completely outside. Yeah. But he picked him. Anyway, um, I turned the screen to him when I saw the these word processing commands in the file uh -huh. before I knew exactly what it was. And I said, do you know what this is? And he just glanced at it, said no. Then I put it into Word, got the gibberish. So what I did is I, I told everyone, I said, hey, I'm going to go back to the hotel and, uh, you know, think about this some more. Mm -hmm. And I went out and uh, as I'm walking to the hotel, I, I whispered, I called my wife and I whispered into the phone. I said, uh, think about what you want to do with $5 million. <laughs> what did she say? I don't know. She just started laughing. She said, you found it? I said, you're not going to believe it, but I actually can prove it. And I went to my hotel room, wrote up a report, which mm -hmm. I do all the time. I can do that really quickly. Wrote up a report with all the details. It's a 15-page report, but thousands of pages of exhibits. Mm -hmm. I registered it with the U.S. Copyright Office because I thought there's Smart. a possibility someone might lose it. Mm-hmm. And, but then the next day, they gave us a whole bunch more files. Mm -hmm. I essentially did the same thing with those files. It gets, it gets a little complicated. Then later in the day, they gave us even more files. And I thought, okay, this is the way they're going to um, you know, keep anyone from getting the prize. Yeah. But the point was that I talked with people. One person told me at the end of the conference that he'd submitted a... No, I, I don't think... Actually, I think I read about it somewhere. He claimed to have submitted a report. Mm -hmm. So I actually contacted him and said, do you want to do this arbitration together? And he said, no. Hmm. Um, 
So it was just me against Lindell. Wow. So you submitted your findings. Did they respond? Did they, you know, give you, you know, their <laughs> version of why you were wrong? No, some, uh, some reports are saying that I got a, a rejection from the judges of the contest, but mm -hmm. I didn't get anything until a few months later when I filed for arbitration. Okay. I just got silence. And, and why did you finally go down that road and say, I need to do this, I'm going to take them to court or so, arbitration? Yeah. So, you know, if you look at my history, I've done this before. I just, um, you know, I've lost money bringing litigation when I think I'm in the right and the public needs to know. Yeah. And I thought the public really needs to know about this. Lindell is still going around to this day. In fact, he says that nobody challenged or doubted his results. <laughs> and I can tell you every single expert in that room doubted his results. But most of them didn't submit a, well, I can say none of them but me submitted a report. Even the gentleman who said he did, it's questionable whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, it was a report that, that would qualify. Right. Right, right. So, but do you think that what Mike Lindell is doing is almost hurting the case for, for Trump or anyone that is trying to claim voter fraud with some sort of credibility? Because his, uh, you know, what he's claiming is just so far-fetched and there is yeah. no data. Yeah, I think actually, so I've heard rumors from people I respect who mm -hmm. think that uh, Lindell is actually working with some, you know, organization could be the FBI or China to actually hurt Trump's chances. I, I'm not sure that I believe that. In fact, I, I doubt it very much. Uh -huh. uh, but actually, you know, I've told Republicans that this is hurting Trump because, so for example, every case that challenged the vote in the 2020 election mm -hmm. was funded by Lindell and uses the same people who were defending this data that, that's fake data. Mm -hmm. And although Lindell is going around saying, oh, these cases are being thrown out, uh, because of the liberal judges or the corrupt judicial system, it's yeah. being thrown out because it's very easy to see that this is fake data. Right. And if I, I think there should be legitimate challenges. I mean, I think at least legitimate investigations. I think it's in the American public's best interest mm -hmm. to to investigate anything where there's because it, let me put it this way: if there is fraud, we need to know. Yeah. And if there isn't fraud, people need to be assured that the voting works correctly. Absolutely. But Lindell is destroying any legitimate efforts with putting all these resources into fake efforts. Right, right. So what did you actually have to show to the arbitrator to get him or her to side with you? I mean, did they have to go through the data or you just had to show that what you found was not accurate? Yeah, I had to show that what I found was not accurate. It wasn't related to the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. It really, Lindell's arguments kept shifting, mm -hmm. and different people on his team had different arguments. But what it came down to was uh, Lindell's team, his lawyers and, and experts, said they, they hedged on this because it sounded so ridiculous, but they would say that anything could be related to the election, hmm. and I had to prove it was not. And one of the arguments was if the file... Uh, you know, if somebody hands the file to me and says, this is related to the election, that makes it related to the election. Hmm. Or Lindell saying it's related to the election to the election makes it related. Because they were saying, oh, we didn't ask him to show uh, hacking or fraud in the election. We just said he had to show this was not related to the election mm -hmm. with 100% certainty. And he couldn't show it with 100% certainty. There's, there was still some possibility that it was related to the election. Right. And my argument was, 
that that's ridiculous. The law, I know the law well enough, and the lawyers supported me, my lawyers supported me in this, that any interpretation of a contract, and I signed a written, I, I signed a written contract, mm-hmm. any interpretation has to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. So no reasonable person would say, you know, if I hand you this bottle of water and say, hey, I drank this at the election, mm-hmm. that this is somehow related to the election. Right. And the arbitrators agreed with me and my side, saying that's such a ridiculous interpretation, no reasonable person would say that. Mm-hmm. And they, the arbitrator said, I had shown that the data was not related to the election. Were you surprised by the, the judgment that you got? I was happily surprised. Uh-huh. So I, I've, I've been in, you know, I've seen enough lawsuits, uh, some involving me and others, you know, as an expert witness, mm-hmm to know that justice is not always served. That is true, yeah. And arbitration is, they have a lot more leeway. And Mm -hmm. the fact is, if the arbitrators decided that there was some loophole in the law, Mm -hmm. the contract wasn't valid, or I had to abide by Lindell's unreasonable understanding, they could have ruled against me. Right, right. And the longer it took, they had until April 20th Mm -hmm. to give a ruling. And by April 19th, I was starting to get really anxious because (laughs) I'm thinking this is so easy that if they're not ruling, they're finding a reason to rule against me. Right, right. Actually, and then what happened was uh, I was playing poker, so I play high-stakes poker, uh-huh. and uh, I was in a tournament, and I decided I wasn't going to check email from my attorney. If I saw that an email came in from my attorney, I wasn't going to check it because I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, But instead, I didn't realize I got a text message. It just said, oh, there's a text message, so I clicked on it. And it said, congratulations from my attorney. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, you've won $5 million. Oh, my God. What was your reaction? Well, I don't know what I did. I don't remember exactly. But everyone at the table, the poker table, started asking me, what's going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I started telling them. And uh, everybody was congratulating me. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to focus on the, the game after On the game, that. yeah, sure. So what's the reaction been from people since they've heard about this now that it's in the media? So the, by far, the reaction has been positive. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a few nasty emails and tweets on Twitter um, with, you know, saying really horrible stuff. No threats against me, but mm-hmm. that I'm a horrible, horrible person. But, you know, I'd say 99% or more is congratulatory. Uh, and friends of mine, so I went to a conference uh, the weekend after I got the notice, the mm-hmm. decision. It was a conference of, for conservative politics. Uh, they had some... Very well-known people there, some who are aides, you know, who know Trump mm-hmm. personally. And at first, and the person who ran is a good friend, and she knew the result, and she was really excited for me. But mm-hmm. I told her, I said, I'm probably not going to tell people who I am. <laughs> and then when I got there, nobody knew me, and I realized the conservative media was not carrying the story, so most of them hadn't seen me and didn't know much about this. right. Interesting. So I walked around, and, and by the second day of the conference, I'd started telling a few people. And I went over to someone who was very close to Trump mm-hmm. and uh, said, I'm the guy who just won $5 million from Lindell. And he smiled and put out his hand and congratulated me. And he said, somebody needed to do that. So I was really surprised. And wow. I started telling more people. And almost everybody was congratulatory. I met a few people who weren't. Mm-hmm. And their attitude is more like, well, why did you do that? You know, you know that hurts Trump. You know it hurts the Republicans. 
And uh, I said, look, the truth needs to be out there. If we complain about the left not giving the truth, we need to set an example by showing the truth. Yeah. And after talking to people, every single person was, you know, happy with what I'd done. Right. There was a report that you had actually heard from Trump. Is that true? Oh, no, no. That would be interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, yeah, that can always happen from now on, though. Um, I, I, I'll just add, I have one friend. So I have, I have one friend uh, here in Las Vegas. I don't know if I should name him, but he's, he's one of Trump's biggest supporters. Mm -hmm. And he's a good friend. And he sent me a congratulatory note immediately. Mm -hmm. But I have another friend who's also very close with Trump, and I haven't heard from him. I hope our friendship is not on the line right. because he's a really good guy who does really great things. Um, but I don't support Trump like he does. And anyway, I thought the truth needed to get out, so I haven't heard from him yet. Right. And have you heard from Mike Lindell? Uh, only indirectly. <laughs> I've seen some reports. He, what's funny is yeah, I got the invitation from him. Mm -hmm. it, it was supposedly vetted by him mm -hmm. to attend the conference. And then I spent an, a year and a half in arbitration with him, mm -hmm. and he still doesn't know my name. Well, I'm sure he knows your name. <laughs> he well, he he. He may pretend he, that he maybe. doesn't. No, but I'll tell you something about him. I learned, which is interesting. At his deposition, he was on the phone up until the time he sat down for deposition, mm -hmm. and then he took a phone call during deposition, which you're not supposed to do. Right. But he took a call, a business call, and then as soon as the deposition was over, he got back on the phone, making business calls, and then at the arbitration. If you hear him, he'll tell you how I didn't know what I was doing at the arbitration, mm -hmm. and he'll give specific examples. Funny thing is, and the transcripts are all public, uh, he was at the arbitration for about an hour. Hmm. A three-day, four-day arbitration. He came in on the second day, and his lawyer said, Mike only has an hour, so what, can we interview him? You know, Can we do his part now? And then he's got to leave. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I've had lawyers, even... I think there was, um, I think someone on his legal team actually said to me that I've never seen this before. I mean, usually the parties to an important arbitration are there the whole time. They want to know what's going on, but right. he, he wasn't. So it sounds like he may have thought that he was going to win this and he wasn't too worried about it or he just didn't want to be part of it. Yeah, I think, I think he doesn't understand failure. I mean, he, I shouldn't say he doesn't understand failure. He writes about failure in his book. Mm. But I think right now he's, I think he truly believes, if you read his autobiography, he says this, he's on a mission from God. Hmm. And I think that he's going to get Trump back in office because God wants that. And I think he thinks God's on his side, so he's got to win. But that makes, you know, it's kind of like the story of, if you've heard the story of um, the, the guy who's, uh, there's somebody, there's a flood going on and he's in his house and the water's coming up and mm -hmm. a car comes by and they say, hop in the car, we'll get you out of here. And he says, no, no, I, I believe in God. God's going to save me. Right. You know, and the flood gets higher and, and a fire truck comes by or a boat comes by. That's right. And says, get in. He says, no, God's going to save me. And then he's on his roof and the floodwaters are almost covering the entire house. And a helicopter comes by and says, uh, grab the ladder. We're sending that a ladder. We're going to rescue you. And he says, no, God's going to protect me. And then, of course, he dies and he ends up in heaven. And he says to God, what, what happened? I believed in you and I thought you were going to rescue me. And God said, I, I sent a, a car, a boat, and a helicopter. <laughs> what were you thinking? You just thinking? didn't see the sign. Right. Yeah. And I think Lindell is the same way. It's mm -hmm. like, I think he doesn't understand that, you know, if he is doing the work of God, you know, we could question that. But if that's true, he still has to work for himself mm -hmm. and do the right thing. Right. And no facts. 
right, you know, the difference right. between fact and fiction. Right. So do you think he's going to pay you? Unfortunately, no. I didn't think from the beginning. The main thing, I think, is that he's being sued by the voting machine companies, Dominion and Smartmatic. They're asking for something like a billion dollars each, mm -hmm. and he can't defend himself. What amazed me is that I kept telling my lawyers, if I were in his position, which I hope I'd never be, <laughs> but if I were, he's got this little tiny $5 million case, yeah. relatively, mm -hmm. but he could use that as practice for the billion dollar cases. And he could get all his people together. They could at least have the same story. They kept contradicting each other. They should get them all in a room and spend a lot of time saying, here's your story. You know, I've, I've seen this in, law, in lawsuits all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, ideally, what you're doing is you're saying, look, everybody may have fuzzy memories and may have seen things differently. Let's get together and figure out what everybody saw. And in, in Lindell's case, he, he could have, uh, I'm not recommending this, but usually what happens is, okay, you know, we have to have a story about what is the data, why is it relevant, um, and people are going to stick to this story. Mm -hmm. But they didn't do that. And my transcripts are public. Lindell's legal team wanted to keep them confidential, and the arbitrators ruled against them. Right. So my transcripts are public. So now, even if they come up with a consistent story, it's going to contradict what they said in my case. Mm -hmm. So I think they're going to lose. I mean, Lindell's going to lose to, to Dominion and Smartmatic. It's my prediction. He'll have to declare bankruptcy. And if I see any money, it'll be a small fraction of the $5 million. Right, right. So you're a registered Republican uh, in Las Vegas. Republicans put a lot of money into Nevada and did not do well. They only gained the governor seat, right? Right. Um, well, and the lieutenant governor and the controller. Okay. So um, but they didn't do well, though, across the country, really. And a lot of the people that didn't do well were, you know, so far out there talking about so many conspiracy theories. Um, do you think that it's because these people had radical views on election fraud and the White House being stolen and January 6th? Essentially, yes. Uh, I know that some Republicans are, are not going to want to hear this, but a lot of Republicans privately say what I'm going to tell you. I think that... Well, I think Trump lost the Senate for the Republicans in 2022. Um, and I think he lost all of the, the positions that we should have won. So I personally think the Democrats, well, first of all, in a year, what do they call it, in a midterm year, you know, in the middle of a president's uh, term, four-year term, uh -huh. usually the other party wins. Uh, I think that's typical because... People love politicians until they get into office and then they don't like them so much. And I think there's a lot, a lot to dislike about the Democrats right now and Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And I think the Republicans should have won the 2022 elections. And, but I think the devotion to Trump, it became a, uh, you know, it became a contest among Republicans between devotion to Trump and people who defied Trump. And that shouldn't be the way the party is. The party should should be according to an ideology: small government, less taxes, um, you know, uh, security on the border, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I think, look, I, and, and the other thing is, the media, most of the media hates Trump. Mm -hmm. um, even Fox News, that you know, because of the trouble they've run into, are probably not so friendly. And he doesn't like them. Actually, Lindell hates Fox News. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, What's happening is the media hates Trump. So even if you think he's the perfect candidate, 
he attracts so much negative attention that it hurts Republicans. And any Republicans who associate with him, with all this election fraud, not just the election fraud, but just being uh, in, in, you know, being partnering or, or agreement with Trump, loses most many independents and even some Republicans. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is whether you liked what Trump did during his presidency or didn't, he's damaging the Republican Party. And I don't see how the Republican Party is going to survive the mm. way it is. Right. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but talk to me about your feeling on Joe Biden and how he, why he won this time around and how he's doing. Right. So I haven't heard this from many people, but I honestly believe, and I told people during the election that I thought Biden was going to win. Well, for two reasons. One, I think Trump mishandled COVID. Let me just say, I think people, up until COVID, people, even if they didn't like Trump, they liked his policies. The economy was getting better. Things were looking better. We looked, the country seemed more secure. The border was more secure. But during COVID, people wanted a father figure who would, who would comfort them. Mm -hmm. And I, can, I compared to Ronald Reagan. People loved Ronald Reagan, not just for his policies, but he felt like your dad, mm -hmm. like the dad you wanted to have. Just a nice guy, controlled. He knew what he was doing. He never got angry, mm -hmm. but he was always very firm. Mm -hmm. And Trump went off on every, any person, politician or media, who said anything nasty about him, he just attacked. And during COVID, people didn't want that. They wanted to hear, like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton had this ability to make people feel comfortable. Yeah. And Trump didn't. So I think that's why he lost. But I predicted he would lose to Biden because Biden didn't fit the mold of what the Democrats say they want, which is a young, vibrant person with new ideas. But I think what most of America wanted is what they wanted in Trump the first place. They wanted someone who's just going to be nasty, say what's on his mind, just insult people, and, you know, they're tired of politicians being nice and saying the things they want to hear and then in office doing something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that Trump was elected in the first place to say, hey, let's get someone who's going to speak his mind and screw up the whole system. And I think Biden is the same kind of personality. He says what's on his mind. I think he says stupid stuff. I think he says insulting stuff. Mm -hmm. And people said, yeah, that's the guy I want because Trump isn't doing it anymore. So what are you going to do in uh, 2024? Are you going to be voting for Trump? So I hope not. Uh, actually, I'm part of a group called No Labels. Okay. No Labels is a bipartisan group. And by the way, I've, I was uh, reluctant to join for a while because I've been in touch with, quote unquote, bipartisan groups or nonpartisan groups for mm -hmm. a long time. And usually they're not. But No Labels is incredibly bipartisan. They have uh, Republicans and Democrats in positions of leadership and donors. They have put together the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats that meet regularly and vote on bills and propose bills. And they've been successful. The first, um, I forget what you call it, the first um, bill for bailing out the economy, the smaller one that passed last December, was written by the Problem Solvers Caucus, not the second one that Biden passed, which was this massive trillion-dollar bill. Uh -huh. uh, so the, the no labels is planning to, if, if it turns out the election is between Biden and Trump, mm -hmm. no labels is going to run a ticket of one Republican and one Democrat, one moderate Republican and moderate Democrat for president, mm -hmm. and I'm involved with that effort. Is there somebody you have in mind that you would like to see running on either side? That's a good question, and no. Um, 
I mean, I would vote for DeSantis as a Republican. Mm. I like what DeSantis has done, um, and I think he's more... I know that a lot of Democrats would disagree, but I think he's actually more able to work within the system. He doesn't get nasty with people. Uh, he's 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 going to attract negative attention from the Democrats and the media, but that's going to happen if any Republican gets elected. But if it is Trump and Biden, this bipartisan ticket, the one concern I have is you've got to have people who have the name recognition and have the personality. Mm-hmm. There have been great, politicians who just never make it because they don't have the personality. Hmm. So I don't know who that would be. It'd be interesting. I'm, I, I'm not involved in that decision for no labels, mm-hmm. but I, I have advised them. I said, you've got to have, you've got to get someone who is electable because a lot of times moderates are just not electable, Yeah, which is unfortunate because they're too moderate. People see them as being middle of the road and not a fighter. And, um, so I don't know. It's a good question. I, I'm curious about your thoughts on DeSantis, though, because, I, you know, it could be a, a Democratic, Democratic or Republican side. But, you know, in the, the, the sides that he's taking on the don't say gay policies and, you know, his stance on a lot of things really rub people, some people the wrong way. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And that's a whole another discussion that, you know, I'd be, you know, I, I don't know if we have the time for that. But uh I think the thing that's important is despite what the media says, mm-hmm. uh, Florida, which used to be, uh, you know, it, it would go Democrat most of the time, uh-huh. uh, for the first time is going Republican because of DeSantis. I think actually with the laws that he's passing in the media, I think my feeling is you read exaggerations of these laws. And I've heard this from people and I've tried to discuss them and they don't want to hear like the don't say gay law is in my mind, that's a wrong understanding of what the law really is. What, what is your understanding? Well, look, I think, uh, well, and let me finish. I'll just say that Florida has been voting Republican, supporting DeSantis in big numbers. And I think that there's more support for him than the media would, would let you think. I think mm-hmm. there's small groups of protesters. But the don't say gay law is, look, I think we used to all believe that sexuality was something that parents taught their kids or in very uh, specific circumstances we allowed it to be taught in school but there were a whole bunch of regulations about parents needed to be aware of this Mm -hmm. and suddenly the country is going in the direction of teachers know more uh, know better how to teach sexuality to the kids than the parents do and the parents are being left out of the decision making Mm -hmm. and i think that's completely wrong um i've heard arguments uh you know the kids know what's best but i don't believe that and that that parents look they're abusive parents they're bad parents but we don't make laws based on the fact that some people are bad. We actually, our, gov- our system is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And so all parents are, you know, assumed to be good people. Mm-hmm. Even if I disagree with them, they're good people with good intentions, unless I specifically know that some parent is doing something wrong. Yeah. And yet our, in, in a lot of states now, they're assuming parents are wrong and that the teachers know what's right. Mm. And I just think that's, that goes against everything we've believed for Two centuries. I understand what you're saying. You know, my daughter, she's in fifth grade now, but in and we live in New York City, and in fourth grade is when you know the Department of Education decided recently that they were going to talk about LGBTQ and all of that. So she comes home one day, and we're walking home from school, and she goes, "Mom, are you down with the pansexuals?" And I'm like, "Her name's Wyatt." I said, "Wyatt, what what are you talking about?" And she said, "Are you down with LGBTQ, Mom?" 
And I'm like, where are you getting this? You don't even right. know how to multiply 75 right. times four. Like, how, would you, how are you learning this today? Not that I have a problem with her learning it, but maybe not necessarily from a teacher and, you know, in a whole group. And I did notice on the paperwork she brought home in this kind of spectrum that they had with the LGBTQ stuff that straight wasn't on it. And it, I think that in her class, what I found is that people felt like that they had to identify with something on that spectrum because all of a sudden she would come home and say, so-and-so said that they were gay today and so-and-so got very upset about it. And so it was a conversation all of a sudden that was being had by, you know, nine-year-olds. And right. I thought that was very interesting, odd, and, you know, much sooner than we ever had that conversation. And I kind of, in my opinion, didn't help because it almost made them feel like they had to pick a side or pick what they were too early. Some people do know very early and, you know, I don't take that away from them, but some people don't and want to figure it out on their own as opposed to having to check a box. So I think, you know, I, I'm moving to Florida this summer, so oh, it'll really? be very interesting to see how that goes and the difference in her education and, and the difference in living between New York and, um, Florida. You know, if I could just say something, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was growing up, my dad taught me this attitude that stuck with me. Mm. That, and, I, and we never learned any of that kind of stuff. But we learned stuff that I'd come home and I'd ask my dad. I said, that, you know, this doesn't sound right. Mm. And, you know, we didn't have Google, but he, had a, he read a lot. And we had books, and he was just a fountain of knowledge. He was self-taught. He didn't go to college. And he taught me that if your teacher says something that, that sounds wrong... Uh, come home and ask me, mm. and we'll figure it out. We'll go to the library. We'll talk about it. And sometimes your teacher's wrong, but you always need to respect your teacher. You never, you know, you never yell at your teacher. You, you don't even have to say the teacher's wrong because sometimes you and I will figure it out and we'll know the teacher's wrong, but there's no point in arguing with your teacher. Yeah. But I know that I grew up with that attitude that, in fact, I grew up with the attitude that experts are not always right. Mm -hmm. And I found that so much in my life. But I think so many people don't. And I remember in school, I was unusual in that I would, like, I'd come home and ask my dad and say, is this right? And we didn't learn about sexuality. I don't know what I would have done. Mm -hmm. And we'd talk about it. Well, most kids would say, the teacher said it. It's right. And, um, and there's a lot of pressure. I remember the pressure in school for stuff that was not even this, you know, important. Mm -hmm. So it scares me that teachers are... And, and the other thing I want to say, so it scares me that they're, that they're teaching these kids these things without their parents' knowledge. Right. But um, I can tell you in California where my son was going to school, uh, he wasn't, you know, I don't think they were doing this kind of stuff back then. It was like 20, 25 years ago now. Mm -hmm. But he would come home and just the math, you know, he, uh, I love math. He'd come home with a math uh, uh, test that was scored 100%. And I'd have to go over it with them and point out the mistakes. The teachers were making mistakes. And I'm thinking that my concern at that time is why are teachers making mistakes in something that, that is basic? Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't want them teaching sexuality if they don't understand how to do a math problem. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. But it is a lesson in, um, you know, that people really should know facts, should yeah, yeah. ask questions if they don't you know, if they don't know, if they don't understand and ask, you know, look at both sides and try to come up with a, a, an answer that makes sense for them. And I think too many people, 
you know, um, just follow whatever the herd mentality is on one side or the other. And they get really lost because they yeah, can yeah. fight so hard about their opinion on something that really they know nothing about. And they're just listening yeah, to yeah. what you're talking about, experts. And Mike Lindell's not an expert. He's not <laughs> no. a political guy. He's I a know. pillow guy. He's a CEO of a company. He's a businessman. And I think that, that it's very interesting that people like that, like we talked about earlier, have this platform to all of a sudden be an expert when they might not have you know, the expertise. Yeah. So yeah. now that you've been through all this, do you think that China hacked the election? No, I think you know, the thing is, the way I explain it to people is, uh, I don't know if you remember the Stuxnet virus that came out um, during the Obama administration. Okay. So it was a virus that attacked uh, nuclear centrifuges in Iran. I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. So what happened is nuclear centrifuges started spinning so fast. You know, you ha I don't know the whole details, but you need to spin the uranium to purify it to make a bomb. Mm -hmm. And the Iranian uh, centrifuges started spinning so fast they would destroy themselves. And eventually, there was, there was a Russian uh, cybersecurity expert who noticed uh, information coming out of the internet in Iran that was strange and tracked it to this virus and was able to get a copy or duplicate the virus. And then uh, there was a Russian uh, Kapersky, a Russian um, antivirus company started studying it. Mm -hmm. I think they published a report and then Symantec which is a U.S. Uh, antivirus company, started uh, examining it. And it turned out to be the most complicated computer virus in history. It came out of one of the most isolated countries in the world, Iran. And yet within three months, uh, they knew basically how it worked and how to defeat it. And Iran was able to stop it because of these, uh, I'm not saying that was a good thing, but uh, it was, in fact, it was a bad thing. But they were able to stop it from destroying all the centrifuges. It came out that later that it was a joint project of Israel and the U.S. And my point is that this was done by two of the greatest technology countries in the world with, mm -hmm. with some of the greatest resources. It went into one of the most isolated countries in the world, and yet within three months it was detected. Mm -hmm. My point is that there's something like a million voting machines in the U.S., and we're an open society with a huge internet that's being monitored by all these cybersecurity companies, somebody would have found hacking by China. Now, I thought Lindell found it, which he obviously didn't, mm -hmm. but somebody would have found it. So I think it's almost impossible that China hacked our voting system. Do you have confidence in the way Americans vote, and will you have confidence in the next election? I'm frustrated by things like ballot harvesting and uh, write-in mail-in ballots like a lot of republicans are what i think is interesting is if you look at like the 20 to the 2000 election with bush and gore we had democrats making the same kind of claims mm -hmm. and now you know but when the republicans won now the republicans are making claims when the democrats won mm -hmm. i'd really like to see more voter integrity efforts um I'm, if I do get any of the $5 million, I want to give it to a group, at least some of it to a group that investigates election integrity. I think it's to everybody's benefit. Even if nothing went on during the, if there was no fraud during the election, I think people would feel better if some kind of bipartisan or nonpartisan group could confirm all that. Mm -hmm. And right now you've got people like Lindell and, and people, you know, you've got people on the other side who say there's never fraud, you know. In fact, one thing that frustrates me, people on the other side saying, oh, there was no fraud. Studies have shown there's no fraud. But if you don't have the mechanisms in place to measure the fraud, which we don't, 
then how can you say there was no fraud? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. What is going to be happening to you next? You said you're going to write a book about this. What else is going on in your life? Um, well, I'm writing mm-hmm. the book. Uh, that's the biggest thing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm about this experience. About this experience. Yeah. Okay. It, it should be ready soon. I'm really hoping it's not just an examination or a discussion of what happened, but the people. I think the people, uh, it's really interesting. Again, there's people relying on experts, people with money saying they're experts in fields that they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's a fascinating psychological study, I hope, mm-hmm. uh, of why do people do this? Some people do it for the money, some for the fame and the recognition. Mm-hmm. And some people are just true believers who believe that you know, if Trump needs to be president, we'll do anything necessary, legal, illegal, ethical, unethical, to get that done. And I see that in politics all the time. It, it really, it's horrible. I mean, it's happened throughout history, but you always wonder what are the consequences going to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I congratulate you in your findings. I am happy for you. I hope you get the $5 million. I think what you did for the country and bringing this to light is very important. Thank you. I hope everybody reads your book. My last question for you is, have you ever bought a MyPillow? <laughs> I have a MyPillow and I even have my slippers. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And do you still use them? Yeah. My wife uses the MyPillow. She loves it. And the slippers are actually pretty good slippers. That's so great. This is a shame. It's a shame that this is happening. Oh my gosh. How hysterical. All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I hope to see you again. Thank you very much. 